Welcome to the Race and Redemption Podcast. We're here to help white Christians move from questions to change. This is my friend, Susan. She brings her whole heart to this conversation. She has a wealth of experience in cross-cultural relationships in her own family and in her community. And she marries that with the truth of scripture about race and redemption. And this is my friend, Brooke. She has been researching these topics for years within the church, and she's bringing new information that's factual, accurate, and nonpartisan. And that's what the church needs right now. I am so glad to be back here with you talking about so many different things. It's been a minute. We've had some incredible interviews over the past couple of weeks. Yes. My mind is still rolling. (laughs) Yes. So much to learn. And uh, we learned a lot from our last episode with Dr. Nicole Martin from the American Bible Society. She is the director of the Trauma Healing Institute at the American Bible Society has a huge history of accolades and education that she has accomplished. And she really talked to us about um, trauma healing in general and also how trauma healing is working out in people of color. Mm -hmm. Um, She brought up this idea that trauma has been happening generationally for so long within the Black community that it's almost been normalized, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that they don't even see it for what it is, Mm -hmm. that when asked if they're carrying trauma— they really don't even see it or, or may say not at all. That's um, been happening in a way that makes them feel like they just need to move on. Right. That they just need to get over it. This is life. That's a survivor skill. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This is just mm-hmm. how it is. And so because of that, their stories are not being told. Right. They're not being shared. And from what we understand about trauma healing, a huge part of healing is having your story heard, mm. knowing it, telling it, having it acknowledged, and then letting Jesus come in mm. and and bring healing. So I'm so thankful that we're starting to have conversations about this so that the healing can happen. Yes, yes. And I know this is a passion area for you, and you've done a lot of study and equipping in this area. So yes. I'm really, really excited to hear you unpack some of these concepts for us so we can understand why this matters to the concept of race in our country. Mm. And I'm certainly not a clinician or an expert, Um, I do have personal experience in this field. Um, I'm certified by the American Bible Society to lead trauma healing workshops. And I've also gone through the process of certification with the Ministry of Pastoral Care at Wheaton College and did an intensive there with them. And all of that actually came out of my own experience of having childhood trauma healed and seeing the power of that and wanting to help lead other people through Christ and the scriptures and also through the scientific process of what it looks like to have um, our hearts set free and Mm -hmm. our minds renewed. So I'm going to be drawing on that own personal experience. And we're also going to be drawing on what we've learned from the ABS, from Nicole. Um, I'm going to pull some stuff from Dr. Anita Phillips, who is also another expert in this area. Um, We're going to be talking a little bit about some Barna research And we're also going to be basing this off of uh, just stories and personal testimonies we've heard from friends of color that have shared their own experiences. Mm -hmm. And so much of the drama that we're seeing unfold right now on social media and TV could be avoided if, number one, people read their Bible 
and they applied it. <laughs> and always need through to a certain there. lens, like yeah. read the whole thing, yeah. not cherry In pick. context. Yes. <laughs> In context. But we also, if we could understand that everyone, including each one of us, that we have unhealed wounds. Mm. And these can trigger responses, especially emotional and personal interactions around race can trigger responses that um, are highly emotional or maybe out of character or or that we don't understand. So what I want to do is back up and talk for a minute about what happens in the brain when a person experiences trauma. And this is a human-wide experience. So as you're listening, you may hear some things and go, oh, gosh, so that's why I do what I do. Trauma can be defined as a deeply distressing or disturbing experience. There are varying degrees of trauma. Um, Some are mild and some are extreme, but they all create some level of reaction in the body. When a person experiences a traumatic event, adrenaline is released and the emotional aspects of the experience become imprinted on the amygdala that's in the brain. It's not stored as a full story, but as sensory fragments experienced in the brain at the time of trauma. And this is why people with unresolved trauma can be triggered by something that's seemingly unrelated. It maybe seems like it's a really threatening thing to them when actually it's just normal and benign. Yeah, this is, that's a huge thing even just to call that out that like, oh, wow, a smell or a yes. sound or some vague familiarity of a sight can trigger someone who's gone through trauma to suddenly bring all of that flooding back. Absolutely. The prefrontal cortex also plays a role in this whole thing. Uh, This is where processing, reasoning, and and linguistic meaning language occurs. Mm -hmm. If a trauma is enough to stimulate the fight or flight response in a person, the prefrontal cortex will shut down. And when that happens, it overwhelms the brain and it removes the ability for the person to reason or even to respond verbally. Mm. So have you ever seen someone mm-hmm. that is in a situation where they can't even speak? Mm-hmm. That's what's happening. Their prefrontal cortex has shut down because of the fight or flight and then what's, what's happening from the trauma. A great example of this that I like to give is, is a car wreck. So say you have a car wreck. There's a lot of people around in this car wreck, multiple car wrecks. People can respond in different ways. Mm. So you may see a person that, that goes really heightened, the screaming, the hysterical screaming that's going on over and over again. You may see someone that completely shuts down, like we just talked about, where there's no speaking, almost sometimes like a catatonic stare, Mm -hmm. just frozen, frozen Mm -hmm. in fear. Now, the third would be the ideal way that the person would handle it. You'd have the emotional response, the adrenaline would kick in, there'd be fight or flight, and you would actually flight. You would unbuckle your seatbelt, you'd call 911, you'd hop out of the vehicle, you'd be able to go and, and help other people in that moment. You would go home to a loved one or a friend and you would share the story of what happened. You would process it out loud with them. They would validate the way that you're feeling. And through that process, what you're doing is activating the emotional and the logical side of your brain. Hmm. And so you're creating neural pathways back and forth so that the emotion is logically processed and then it's stored in your brain as actually a way that you can use in the future. So when something else like that happens, you can refer to that accident and actually make it positive and beneficial to you. That's so huge. So basically what you just walked us through means it's good to experience the emotion and Mm -hmm. also it's good to mentally process, like think about, yes, in the forefront of your mind, think about that experience and then, then you can deal with it. And what you're seeing is that power plays a role in the ability mm. to process trauma. Yes. When you can self-govern, when you can take action, when you are not limited 
or rendered incapable, that is a part of the healing process, having power over the situation. So good. Yeah. And so we're seeing that action integrates. It's called the emotional loop with the cognitive side of the brain. So action is necessary. Mm -hmm. So one thing that can happen is you see people that when the amygdala becomes hyperstimulated with all this emotion and then the prefrontal cortex shuts down and there's no reason, people get stuck in what I just said, the yeah. emotional loop. Mm-hmm. And there's really not been a great way to heal this in the psychological field until they've come up with this idea called EMDR. And what that does, it's eye movement desensitization and reprogramming. Mm. And so you're actually stimulating the left side and the right side with some sort of buzzer or clicker. Maybe you hold it in your hands or sometimes with children, they'll put it to their feet. So as you are going through talk therapy, the left and right side of your body is being stimulated. So you're creating a neural pathway for that memory to be processed and activated from a long time ago. Wow. And this actually came out of the need to help veterans after they came back from Vietnam. There was something, they didn't know what it was. Now we know it's PTSD. Mm -hmm. And traditional therapy wasn't helping. And so this was developed and actually has been extremely successful in Mm -hmm. people that have unresolved trauma. Mm -hmm. And so we've learned through therapy how powerful it is Mm -hmm. to be able to activate both sides of the brain and create these new neural pathways. I like to think about it in scripture when it talks about the renewing of the mind. Yes. In yes. science, they call it neuroplasticity. That <laughs> yes. your brain is still growing, right? Yes. That your brain or your brain is still moldable and that you're not just set. When something happens to you, you're not stuck there. Right. Isn't it right? amazing that God made us that way? I oh, just think that's yeah. so incredible. Yeah. I mean, someone who has a stroke, for example, their brain can be rebuilt mm. because of the resilience of the brain. So oh, it's so yeah. empowering to think that oh, wow, you can overcome these things that are stuck there. Like our friend Catherine Wolf, I think is a great example of that. Yes. If you guys haven't checked out her story, go see Hope Heals. Amazing, amazing story of just the way to come back from a deep physical trauma, but also Mm -hmm. the emotional trauma that Mm -hmm. happened through the physical trauma. It's Mm -hmm. it's wonderful. Absolutely. So everybody goes through this process. Yeah. You, me, every human being. I mean, we all experience different levels of traumas throughout our life. Hopefully they're minimal. And you're empowered to take action and resolve them in a way that connects the emotion to reason and action. Because then you can learn from and integrate this trauma and this event into your story and you don't have emotional stress. Mm -hmm. Trauma and our response to it is a part of all human existence. Romans 14 states, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of the brother. And then continues with, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Mm. It's so interesting how the healing of trauma has to happen within relationship. Mm -hmm. There's Mm -hmm. that mutual upbuilding that's happening. Yeah, yeah. That that hurt is healed through sharing and through being heard. Mm. You know, as we communicate to the Lord and as we communicate to our friend. Mm And so it's with this heart that I want to start moving this into how it can play out for people of color. But before I do that, I want to point out that this is not a blanket statement. And you and I totally understand that not every Black person would say they've experienced trauma. Sure. Definitely. Mm -hmm. But I have had so many friends share their stories and and their awakening, kind of like as Dr. Nicole talked about, to the idea that they had normalized trauma. I've sat with friends of color and as they were sharing stuff about growing up, looking at them going, that's not right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's not, 
that's not, you're laughing and, and that's not normal. That's right. not right. That shouldn't be like that. Mm-hmm. And, and seeing that happening all around us, I think as white Americans, we're seeing so many of our fellow countrymen understanding and waking up and sharing that. Mm-hmm. And so it's not a symptom of the fact that we're hyper-focusing on race. I think it's actually a symptom of there's a safer environment and a platform yeah. for Black Americans to be heard yeah. and to share their story. So this can be a building up of microaggressions, you know, tiny things that are happening day in and day out, things that maybe come from dominant culture, things that happen from a person, maybe things that they're hearing and seeing on TV. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can think of things throughout the interviews that we've had here that people have mentioned. I mean, Lecrae talked about no films with people that look like him on the plane or mm. talking about how there's no Band-Aids that looks yes. like someone's skin color, things like that. There can, are some new ones, by the way. I know. I'm so <laughs> excited. Yes. They came out a couple months ago. Yeah. But things like that build up. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously overt racist attacks and and the systemic racism like we've talked about. But we also have to give credit to the mass trauma that's happening from watching all this racialized violence now that has been recorded over the past couple of years. We're seeing it over and over and over again. Yeah. And that is a mass trauma that we're all experiencing and and that is very deeply personal to people of color. I mean, they don't know what they're going to wake up and see the next morning. Yeah. What's going to be on social media and TV now? And thinking, you know, for very many of them, it's like that that could be me or that could be this person that I know or this family member. And so that becomes something that's very real. It's not just a distant thing. It's not, it's not an, you know animated story, it's like, no, no, this is real life and this could be me at any Right. Moment. When based on their current situation, their emotional health, their support system, it could affect them in varying degrees. Right. And um, one thing we want to couple this with is this idea of generational trauma or intergenerational mm-hmm. trauma, mm-hmm. which may be a new concept. You can go back to our last episode with Dr. Nicole and she can share a little bit more about what that is, but it's basically the biological effects of trauma being passed down through generations. The most highly studied group of generational trauma has been Holocaust survivors Mm -hmm. and their descendants. And studies have shown higher levels of heart disease, anxiety, depression, cortisol throughout life, which is the stress hormone, but actually even at birth, the descendants of Holocaust victims were born with higher levels of the stress hormone. Mm. I mean, the same science can be applied to the descendants of enslaved African people and to the people that have been living under the degrading and often abusive time of Jim Crow and their descendants. Mm. Yeah, I share this to give you guys a better understanding of what people of color may be working through Mm -hmm. as they're engaging with you in the workplace, Mm -hmm. at the store, on social media. Yeah, perhaps previous interactions they've had with white people have left them powerless. Yeah. Or maybe it's demeaned them and, and they're coming to this conversation with a, they're feeling wary and guarded. Yes. And instead of taking that personally, what if we responded to this person without offense or anger and, and we responded to them in a better way? Yeah, I think that's really important. I just wanted to double click on that, Susan, because I, I feel like we often assume that the response we're hearing from someone in a conversation or a situation is, oh, I've done something to offend yeah. you. And it may not even be that. Yeah, It may or may not be that there is a past hurt there that it's reminding them of. It also may or may not be, 
I've heard people say and do the kind things that you're doing right now and then later do something yes. to be harmful. So there's an anticipation of mm -hmm. hurt. So there's all these like defense mechanisms that are triggered, even mm -hmm. in something that has nothing to do with the mm -hmm. current conversation. I think that's so important to recognize as we are having these relationships and dialogues mm -hmm. that like there's this is much bigger than right now and right here. Or it could just be a basic human thing that yeah. they've had a terrible day. <laughs> I had a bad day, dude. <laughs> you know? I mean, I think about like when we're in the car and if someone gets road rage or whatever, right. you know, as I'm talking to the kids, I'm always like, that's not about us. Right. That's clearly about something else that's happened. Yes. I think so often people aren't willing to take that same heart and understanding and grace and apply it when yes. we're having racial discussions or to apply it in, in emotional racial situations. But yeah. that's what we have to do to be able to heal and move on. Yes. This is the season that the Lord has put us in right now. Mm -hmm. So this better way, the language that's being used right now is to have a trauma-informed response. I mean, honestly, it's how we should be reacting with everyone. Yes. With approaching all people in this way. But today we want to apply it to racial redemption. I think Romans 12, 18 really fits in here. If possible, so far as it is, depending on you, live peaceably with all. So using a trauma-informed response helps us to fulfill that aspect of as it depends on you. This is something mm. you can do mm. to help live peaceably with other people. These steps that I'm going to share right now actually come from an amazing discussion that happened between Christine Kane and Dr. Anita Phillips a couple of months ago. We're going to do a link to where it's posted on Instagram in our notes. Uh, and in that, Dr. Phillips talks about the steps of having a trauma-informed response. Step one is you approach people with an awareness of the wound. You, when you're moving into a conversation or an interaction, you become aware that there could be a wound there. Mm -hmm. May not, but there could be. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I'm going to be aware. It makes me think of the scripture that says to consider others before yourself. You're thinking about that person. Um, that your expectations and interactions with this person are tempered by that wound. If someone is carrying racial trauma or has been wounded by someone that looks like you, you're going to have a different expectation, right? You're mm -hmm. going to expect that maybe they are going to be less trusting of you. Maybe they are going to be wary or guarded or easily frustrated or won't believe you. Mm -hmm. That's that's an appropriate expectation. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't take it take it personally. Mm -hmm. uh, the next is we don't ask why did that person just do that. Mm -hmm. You know, we instead ask what happened to them. Yeah, what happened to them to to make them respond that way. Like we're we're looking with compassion and with grace and and a desire to understand them as an individual and to and to build a bridge and and to bring healing into their life that we choose to be a safe space for their healing. The next thing is that we trust and empower the voice of the wounded. I think this is something that's really causing a lot of um, relational damage right yes. now in our society. Yes, um, we don't ask the wounded to prove it. We don't ask them to prove that they're... Could you imagine someone that came and, and told you that they had been a victim of domestic abuse and you asked them to prove it? Mm -hmm. Well, show me. Really, you come at them with, with this attitude of, you know, well, the media just is making you feel like that's what it is. Mm -hmm. or, mm -hmm. it, when, we, when we apply that to our Black brothers and sisters, 
and we say things like, you know, the media is making you say this or believe this, we're totally negating the fact that that they are rational thinking human beings that could share their own experience. Mm-hmm. Of course, the media wouldn't deceive an individual into thinking that they've experienced these personal things. That's, mm-hmm. I think that's insulting and it's caused a lot of, of damage. Yes. In relationships. Uh, the next thing, we talk a lot about this on the show, is to practice cultural humility. Mm-hmm. That we differentiate between a cultural argument and a theological argument. That is so, so huge. <laughs> That's yeah. so, so huge. Yeah. Because we're quick to put the theological first, and then that diminishes the relational and the cultural. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so often when we don't practice cultural humility, we make these huge assumptions that the way that we culturally practice our theology or the way that we see Scripture is the only right way. Mm-hmm. And and then we end up devolving into arguments that are never going to be won because this is a cultural mm-hmm. discussion. It's not a theological discussion. Mm-hmm. So I really want to encourage people to to practice that in their daily lives. And the last thing is to create safe spaces and relationships to talk about what happened to them. That we want to be a place where all people, as a Christian, I want to be a place where all people feel safe, sharing stories with me, being their true selves, their authentic selves, not having to mute or censor anything about who Mm -hmm. they are, but that they are received and loved and that in me, they're going to find the likeness of Christ, building them up, speaking truth into them. And that really helps to create a place for healing these traumas. But how do we as white people help to create these safe relationships with people of color to share their stories? We don't just start there mm-hmm. at step one. In fact, it can be really damaging if you do. Yes. <laughs> we don't recommend that. Yes. And there's probably listeners that have experienced that. Out of a heart of really wanting to be yeah. a safe relationship, yeah. they've pressed way too quickly into trying to force that. Mm-hmm. And, and they've probably received a pretty negative reaction. Mm-hmm. And they may feel nervous or mm-hmm. wary. You know, which which should give them compassion and understanding for the situation. Mm-hmm. But the first thing I want to tell our listeners to do is to build relational equity before talking about these points. That we have to prove our safety and our care over time. Mm, that's good. That it's built within relationship of just everyday things, the way you would build any right. friendship, any relationship mm-hmm. that you would have. It's no different. Yeah. It's no different. And it takes a good amount of time. The the less similar you are, the longer it will take to build Mm -hmm. those bridges and you need Mm -hmm. to build them first. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And during that time, you can be doing the work to educate yourself, Mm -hmm. to understand the other person's perspective so that Mm -hmm. when things come up, you can add to the story. They're not having to educate you. When, uh, When a person of color has to educate you about these things, that lessens the safety that they feel. Mm. When you come in educated and they see you doing the work, it creates a better sense of safety within that relationship. Mm -hmm. That's good. So the next thing is to to listen quietly and say something like, thank you for sharing that with me at the end. It's not necessary for you to ask a ton of questions. Again, you may start leaning into wanting proof or credibility for the things they're sharing. Just listen and, and thank them for sharing because that took a lot of trust on that person's part. Mm-hmm. For any person to share something painful that's happened with another person takes trust. The next thing is to acknowledge that what happened to them is wrong and that it's not their fault. 
And you can literally say those exact words. That is wrong. And it's not your fault that someone treated you that way. Mm. That's not okay. And that kind of goes along with the next step, which is instead of saying something like, I could never imagine that, or that's crazy, you know, try to validate their feelings with, it makes sense that you feel this way. In the last episode with Dr. Nicole, I actually slipped, I said, I'm sorry that this happened to you. I, I hate that. And she was so kind to share, I'd rather hear you say that that makes you angry that you're angry with me that that happened. You know, that we're all Americans. And how did she put it? She said that when when you say, I'm sorry and don't identify with the anger, that that can make her feel this differentiation. Yes. Between the it white happens and to black. you people, yes. not to my people. It, yes. Yeah. It, it but we're all Americans. Separation. Yep. This is our story too. Yeah. And that we want to own it together. I thought that was great. I yeah. was glad she shared that. I also love that that explained we can show compassion through anger. <laughs> like you yeah. kind of think we don't want to get angry here. We're trying to be loving. And the loving response is to out of justice say that's not right. Mm-hmm. And that is the loving thing to do. Not just I'm so sorry for you. Yes. And remember where Cole said that we link our anger to God's righteous indignation. Mm-hmm. And that keeps us from sinning in our anger. Yes. When we're linking it to Him. Yes. Man, that was really good. Mm-hmm. So the next thing I think a lot of us fall into, which is offering solutions or trying to fix the problem. Yes. Because we want it to go away, right? Like right. we want it to get better. Yeah. And so many of us are doers and and we want to really s- feel like we're taking part and helping. But in reality, what we need to be asking is how can we support that person and accept the answer they give you? It may be different mm. than what you think they need. Right. But this is what they need. Right. And that's part of safety and building trust is is accepting and believing the voice of the wounded. Yeah. Finally, I just encourage you to pray for your friend. Pray for your friend and pray for all people that are carrying similar wounds. So the last thing I want to talk about is just prayer. Pray for your friend. And let that be a way to guide you in how to pray for for other people too as a community. Mm -hmm. To pray for the healing of all people carrying Mm -hmm. these kind of wounds. Mm -hmm. In the end, What's going to bring us together is the cross, that we are all equal at the cross. And it's the one blood, one church, one father, one spirit that's going to bring that true unity and that true reconciliation. So when in doubt, that's where we go. That's where we seek the answers. And that's who we turn to for our true power and our true guidance. Exactly. Yeah, we love to talk about the both and Mm -hmm. in this uh, podcast about, yes, I'm showing up. And I am engaging in a very healthy way, hopefully, Mm -hmm. in this experience, hearing this person's story. I'm praying with them. I'm praying for them. Mm -hmm. I am engaging in dialogue with them. But also, and importantly, I am relying on the power of this Holy Spirit to change something, right? Because I don't have the power and even we don't have the power to change entire systems and to change hearts. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we need the both and of prayer and response to be able to navigate these experiences of trauma. Mm. And for those of you that are feeling overwhelmed or Mm. lost or incapable, isn't that such a freeing truth? Yes. 
that the Lord's the one that does the work. Yes. You know, I, I love um, the verse in Habakkuk that says that we prepare the horse, but the Lord wins the battle. Mm. You know, we do the work, we get ready, we do what we can do. Mm-hmm. But in the end, the Lord's the one that wins the battle. He's the one that heals the heart. He's the one that restores the nation. That's so good. So I'm going to leave you guys with Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. I think it is a great explanation for what we've been talking about today. Paul says, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I'm just praying today that our eagerness to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace creates an overflow of deep healing that brings liberation to all and redemption to our nation. I know that God is moving, and I believe it. I just ask that you guys will continue to pray this with us too. Amen. joining us today for the Race and Redemption podcast. Please subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts and continue the conversation with us on Instagram at Race and Redemption. This episode was produced by Matt Owen for Soul Graffiti Productions.